here is what I spent this year in terms of my budget, and here's what I earned. And how do those two differ? And I call it mind the gap. You want to look at you know, what is your after inflation earnings, your performance return on your portfolio versus your spend rate. And if they're pretty close, then you can be retired indefinitely. But if it's wide, then you start eating into principal over time. Having some type of side project as a retiree, some other source of income, I think is critical. That's Jay David Stein, host of the Money for the Rest of Us podcast. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, he tells Joe and Big Al about managing our emotions when it comes to investing and market volatility and how to mind the gap between income and spending in retirement. And if that gap's a little too large for you, we've got 99 side hustles that can help you make some more cash. Also, six tax planning tips to consider for 2017, withdrawing from a Roth to fund college, and the cost basis of stock held in trust for beneficiaries. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Alan, how long have you been a CPA? Uh, I'm going to say about 35, 33 to 35 years, somewhere in there. 33 to 35 years. Yeah. Tell me how you got into being a CPA. I think our listeners would like to know a little background. Yes. Let me me hear your bio. My my bio? Yeah. Okay. Well, I went to um, University of California in San Diego. I was originally an engineering major. Because I was two semesters. Because I was yes, two (laughs) semesters. Right. I felt my strength was was in math, right, and and uh, more so than English. And uh, but I found very quickly that uh, college level advanced engineering type calculus was rather difficult. And I even went up to my professor, and after about five or six weekly classes, I said, you know. Can you help me out? What is this even for? And I, I didn't understand his answer. And I knew, yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> and then I asked my uncle, who's an engineer, and he goes, he goes, Uncle Bert. He goes, well, he goes, this is important if you want to build a bridge. Okay, is there anything else you do with it? Right. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I never, never did get a satisfactory answer, and I, I realized that that wasn't going to be my calling. Now, remember when I went to college, which was in the seventies, it was, uh, it was anti-establishment. It was all this stuff, business. Everything was against business, the fat cats, and that's the last thing you want to do is be a business major. And actually, you Things see, haven't it, really changed, though. Well, I suppose. Well, that, and that's not necessarily true. There was a whole generation of yuppies that sort of got back into it. Now we've well, now, yuppies or not, not so now, now the millennials have come back. They're they're a little different group, but uh, anyway. So, and UCSD didn't have a business major anyway, so I switched to sociology because I thought I would be an urban planner. I thought that'd be kind of fun. And then I realized, now nah, that doesn't seem very interesting, because what I really like is being the out of doors. So then I want to be a park ranger. This is all a true story. So I, I spent... This is a great one, too. You asked. So two, two, I spent two summers being a park ranger in the mountains in Idlewild, loved it, but also realized, nah, this is not a good career. And I basically backed into accounting. Honestly, this is the honest truth, is uh, my dad was an accountant, and I thought, well, I'm like my dad, and I, I don't know what else to try. Sure. So that's kind of, that's not a very great story, but that's, that's and I think a lot of people, they kind of back into things. Maybe you were probably clearer on, but a lot of a lot of people that I know my age, it's we, we just had no idea. And now with with uh, with kids, I have two two boys, they've both kind of backed into what they're, you know, when you first go to college, a lot of people, I'd say the majority, really don't know what they should be doing. Sure. Yeah. No, I love math. 
And but I was very terrible at math if I didn't understand the logic behind it in a sense. But if it came to like real life application, right? So me, me too. Right? Then it's like okay, I understand where I, I need to go. Yeah. But then with the x y minus p equals z, you know, then I'm like okay, well I got to put some real life application into these letters. Yeah, for it to make sense. <laughs> yeah, right? for it to make yeah. sense to me. And yeah. then as soon as I figured out how to do that, yeah, then then yeah, then then you could make sense of it. And so I got my all my counting courses after my bachelor's degree and uh and i found interestingly enough i found that with my accounting slash sociology background it was actually quite helpful because uh, compared to most of my contemporaries accountants that have not learned how to communicate organize their thoughts communicate right right and, and these are things that i learned it with my because so, sociology i mean it's all about writing term papers and communicating and that's uh, so no i think that actually served me well uh but i would say sociology as a standalone is is pretty rough to go very far with that if, if you if you go that route you need something else too sure i mean you know you take a look at college today right and so there's this huge push to put everyone through college right and um you know, there's I, I read something of you know, all these majors, right? In in what the average income is, right? You know, where a pipe fitter you can make a hundred grand a year, right? So you go to school for four years, you blow through a couple hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, you're, and then you're, you're a sociology major. Yeah, right, a philosophy major. Can't, can't find a job. Yeah. And they tell you, you got to get a, a PhD, at least a master's, if oh, not right. a PhD. Now you got to go back to get your master's. Okay, another couple hundred thousand in debt. Yeah. It's ama- it's craziness. Mm-hmm. It is craziness. And then you look at your choices. What can you do? Well, I guess you could be a teacher. You could be a professor. It, right? right. Yeah. You could do Try that. Try to get your tenure along sure. with everyone else. Well, yeah. Then, uh, so there's a lack of um, like skilled labor, too. True. You know, we have a lot of it's contractors a, it's a, it's a and builders point. and yeah. architects and things like that that are clients. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, I could take on more projects, but... I don't have the people. I, I don't have the people to, you There's know. There's no one to, out there that knows how to how to wire a plug or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Electrician and, mm-hmm. you know, where these trades, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, that was that was the way. I Like with my family, um, you know, my parents totally discouraged me from going to college. Yeah. <laughs> that was the opposite. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I would come home from high school and my bedroom would be fluttered with pamphlets. Of Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Got it. in my pillow, <laughs> my mom would do this. You'd wake up with it, right? But, uh, yes, and I'd be like covered with it. I'd go to the bathroom. It would be like instead of bathroom. toilet paper, you got a, 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 an Army brochure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go to my closet, grab yeah. a shirt. No, nope, it's you, the whole my whole um, drawer. Right? Full, yeah, full my, my underwear drawer, boxers. Boom. Wow. No, I don't have boxers anymore. It's just pamphlets of the Army, Navy, Air Force Marines. Wow, they really wanted you to do that. Yeah, they were like, you're not going to college. Yeah, it's too expensive. It's, it's a waste of time. Yeah, you are not ready. <laughs> Go to the military, right? And so that, that, will, that will shape you up. Well, you probably were kind of wild younger, oh, I would imagine. Yes, huge, crazy wild. <laughs> but no, that motivated me even more to go to school, right? right? I mean, I think I went to, and I paid for my own schooling, and it, it just, it was out of spite. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. How terrible is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got my degree out of spite. Right. Instead of, uh, well, but, whatever works. Yeah, well, I guess whatever I mean, motivates one, you. One, one, one way or another. <laughs> like when you started college, did you know what you wanted to do? Yeah, I because well, I like my dad was a uh, uh, cabinet maker. 
And, and you um, figured I'd be like my dad? No. Yeah. I can't hammer a nail. Okay. And he was so disappointed in me. It was like I was the biggest disappointment is, can, of his life. Is your brother more handy with tools? Yeah, he's a lot more handy. Yeah. You, know, if, you know, if the furnace goes out, he probably knows what to do. Me, forget about it. Hey, I, I, I was so disinterested in that. I, I, you, you, no. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was um, – I knew I wanted – because my mom was a stay-at-home mom in a secretary – um, so she didn't make a lot of money. And my dad didn't make a ton of money. My mom said, you know, we were so poor, we it was poor. Right? We couldn't oh, even... You, you don't even, can't even afford the Yeah, R. we can't even afford the, the O and the R. <laughs> po. Po. We, we po. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that motivated me to say, all right, well, here, I want to do something to make uh, a little bit more money. I want to get educated. I want to make sure that you know, I can... Kind of uh, change the family. Cha- yeah, yes, change direction. that, that yeah. dynamic. And yeah. I was the first... Um, a guy out of like all my cousins um, um, to, to 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 go to school and get a degree. Yeah, and then you're probably the first radio star and TV oh, star. Oh yes, yeah, infomercial the list king. Goes, the list goes <laughs> on and on. You've you've sold more shamwags. <laughs> oh my god, I've I've sold more knives. That <laughs> they are so proud. All right, so Big Al may not be an engineer, and Joe may not be able to hammer a nail, but they know personal finance and retirement planning like the backs of their hands. Visit Your Money, Your Wealth to access their white papers, articles, webinars, and over 400 video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and a lot more. I would guess that just about any money question you have can be answered at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, but if by some small chance you need more info, you can always email us at info at purefinancial.com or pick up the phone and call us 888-99-GOALS. That's 888-994-6257. Alan, it's that time of show. It is, where we have someone smarter than us. A right? lot smarter. Yeah, extremely. <laughs> yes. We have uh, David Stein on the line, and he has a, a phenomenal podcast, uh, which I would recommend everyone uh, to check out. It's Money for the Rest of Us, because money can get complicated. It sure can. And it's like, well, what about me? So I want to welcome David. David, thanks so much for joining us. Great. Good to be here. Thanks. Hey, um, just tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your background and why did you start Money for the Rest of Us? Well, sure. My background is as an institutional investor. So I spent 15 years on the investment side, first advising endowments and foundations. And, and later, actually, we, we launched what's called an outsourced CIO product, where we actually managed the investments for the, the endowments and foundation, did the asset allocation, and sort of chose managers, et cetera. Sort of took over the whole thing. And so I was our firm's chief investment strategist and chief uh, portfolio strategist for that particular product. And I I did that for 15 years, but I was ready to, I was in my mid-40s, and I was ready to try something else. And so I, my partners bought me out, and I called myself early retired for a year or two, and then found myself missing teaching investing, missing teaching about the economy. And so I launched the podcast a couple of years ago, just so I could continue to, to, in this case, help individuals understand what's going on with money, investing in the economy. You, you know, given this week, um, had a lot of experts kind of on their toes a little bit. Uh, we had Donald Trump is now our president. 
Um, and I think when, and I'm, I'm sure you watched the futures a little bit when they were, well, I guess every TV sh- you know, newscast was kind of showing it as Donald Trump was pulling ahead. You saw the futures go down 700 points. So I'm, you're, everyone's thinking, oh man, the market's going to crash. But uh, what, we're, we're, the, the week has been okay. I mean, how the heck do we explain that? We explain it by saying you, <laughs> you cannot predict these, these one-off events. And because I, I had listeners expressing concern, well, if Donald Trump got elected, the market's going to crash. Should I be pulling my money out now? This is a month or two ahead of time. And and my response was one-off events, you just can't predict what the reaction will be. And so that's not to say you can't ever predict, but the reality is the market, let's say the S&P 500, a measure U.S. large company stock, falls on average 5% or more about three and a half times per year. So this is normal market volatility. Now, what I teach and the way I've always invested was to adjust one's asset allocation for what I call regime changes, where the risk of a recession is high. The risk of a, a 20% type decline in the stock market is high. And there, we, there, there's a little more forecasting or predictability, or at least can manage the risk. But these short-term binary, this particular person is going to win or lose, or let's say the Brexit, you, you just can't, you can't predict both what's going to happen, or even how the market's going to react to it. I mean, you're actually making two predictions there. Now, what's the outcome going to be, and then how the market's going to react to it? Right. It's, uh, but we're emotional creatures, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things um, from an education perspective is that, hey, you cannot worry about the short-term volatility um, you know, this money, well, you know, what's the goal for the money? You probably need it for your retirement over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So we'll have many more presidents, we'll have many more corrections, and we'll have many more, um, you know, crises and everything else. What, um, wh- what are some of the things that you're talking about on your, um, uh, on your podcast nowadays? Well, let me just follow up on that, that other point, because we do have to manage our emotions. And, and one thing you do, I mean, let's, let's say somebody, and I had people approach me where, they might have sold a business. They might have some cash, and and this election's coming up. And and you know, I don't give specific advice, but in the in the spirit of general education, you know, I've I've told people it's okay to wait till after the election and then put the money to work. I mean, it's not these are not do or die decisions, right? I mean, ultimately, most of us are long term buy and hold investors, but we have to do things to help us manage those emotions. And one might be a dollar cost average in if you get if you get a lump sum of cash. Or you, you can wait out. It's going to be a big binary event. It's okay to wait before you invest. In, uh, in terms of the podcast, we, you know, things we've talked about recently, and the, the way the show's structured is just whatever happens to be of most interest to me, which tends to be also be interest to, to listeners. And so you know, one of the things I experienced is my insurance company had a 50% proposed increase for our health insurance. And so that got me thinking, What's going on here? So we did an episode recently on you know, what is driving these dramatic increases in health insurance costs. And it turns out much of it is pharmaceutical companies essentially have monopoly power to price pharmaceuticals, particularly expensive cancer treatments, at whatever price they can get away with. And in other words, the, the price discipline is, is how badly will politicians and doctors yell when they set the price? In that type of environment, that is what's driving up healthcare costs and healthcare premiums. And then what? Uh, the EpiPen, right? That was a, that was pretty oh, big deal. The, the perfect example, right? They, 
In this case, people did yell after they raised, I don't know what the, you know, the 5,000% increase or whatever the, the significant increase was. But that is predominant throughout the healthcare industry. And ultimately, it, it's something that the, that the Trump administration is going to have to deal with because it, it's come to a head. Hey, David, this this is Al. Uh, we've got a lot of retirees listening and, and uh, pre-retirees, and, and I know your podcasts sometimes deal with uh, with retirees. What, what What is some of your best advice that you would give to somebody that's just about to retire? What are the things they ought to be looking at? Well, first off, it is, it is an absolutely huge transition, and people don't realize it, from having income where you have a job and suddenly you're living off of investments. And I, I mean, I did that when I was in my mid-40s. So, I mean, I quit my job, and Here's my nest egg, and I have to live off of it. And it's jolting. And so what I tell retirees is find a source of income outside of investing. Have a lifestyle business or, or something of interest. And, and I, I think most retirees want to do something. Because reality is it can be boring being retired if all you're doing is playing golf. And that's kind of a cliche. But that's the truth. And so having some type of side project or, or side business or something we can generate just even if it's twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year takes a lot of pressure off both emotionally and on your investment portfolio i mean i would imagine that would have been pr- that, that was probably pretty hard for you um if you can retire in your 40s i would imagine there was um you know, you know a couple of dollars in your in your bank account and being um a very good at managing money right but then you you the the emotions that you have personally over your money versus being an institutional in, you know in, in investor, I, I think are two different things. And then once you're looking at hey this nest egg's got to last me what sixty years, um, it, you know it, it, to keep your own emotions at bay was probably fairly difficult. Oh, exactly. Because one can't even imagine a forty year retirement. I mean, we just we can't comprehend what that's even like, and so. You know, ultimately, the way that you do it is you, you have to just manage one year at a time. Right? Here is what I spent this year in terms of my budget, and here's what I earned. And, and how does how do those two difference? And, and I call it mind the gap. You want to look at, you know, what is your after-inflation earnings, your performance return on your portfolio, versus your spend rate. And if, those, and if they're pretty close, then, then you can be retired indefinitely. But if, but if it's wide... Then, then you start eating into principal over time, and you know ultimately my solution was to find a way to generate some additional income, because in the four years or five years I've quit my job, in, income like interest rates have basically been cut in half, or or other strategies, you know, income-oriented strategies are generating much lower yields than they did even three or four years ago, and so in, in that environment, people. Having some type of side project as a retiree, some other source of income, I think, is, is critical. Maybe, you know, when you get into your 70s or 80s, you can pull back. But if you're in your 50s or 60s, one, you'll be bored if, you, if, you, if all you're doing is, is, is traveling or something. Or maybe you just have to do something. Right. I, and I think, well, the dollars and cents is one thing. The money is one thing. Uh, but just the, the, the sense of still feeling purposeful, right, that, that you have meaning. Um, uh, I think is key too. Uh, a lot of financial shows such as ours is like, all right, well, let's talk about taxes, investments, inflation, and blah blah blah. But then at the other side of, the, you know, the, the the microphone or or the speaker, it's like, well, you know, what the hell am I going to do with my life here? I got all the money I need, but I'm bored as hell, and you know, what what am I going to do here? 
Oh yeah, and people people need a routine, and even you know even as a retiree, you need some type of routine that you know this is what I do on a Monday or Tuesday. I mean, you take breaks from it, but having something, you have to you have to be creating something. Ultimately, you have there has to be some outlet to create, and, and maybe that's working with a charity or not for profit. Maybe it's creating within an employment. Maybe it's a hobby, but there needs to be a formalized creation in my mind of people creating something every week. And maybe you get paid for it, maybe you don't. But you have to have the routine in terms of creating. That's uh, David Stein, folks. Please go to moneyfortherestofus.com. Check out his podcast. David, hey, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Hopefully we can get you on back soon. It'd be great. Thanks for having me. Hey, Southern California, are you on a smooth, well-paved road to retirement, armed with a good roadmap and clear directions? Join one of our certified financial planners for a free lunch and learn in San Diego or Orange County and learn how to pave your road to retirement. Visit purefinancial.com slash lunch to register for one of these free events, lunch included. Learn about investing for your future, generating retirement income, retirement plan distributions, and how to minimize your income taxes. Get on a good road to retirement. Visit purefinancial.com slash lunch to register for a free lunch and learn in San Diego, Brea, or Irvine. That's purefinancial.com slash lunch. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, six tax planning tips to consider for 2017. I don't necessarily agree with all these. All right, but let's, let's do it. Let's see. Let's see what we what we have. But most of them I do. What's the title? Six tax planning tips to consider for 2017. Six tax planning tips. Yeah. So right. number one is bunch shel- of expenses. Yeah. Shelter your interest income inside your retirement accounts. If your investment portfolios are going to hold bonds, it's best to hold these bonds inside tax deferred retirement plans such as IRAs and 401ks. Asset location is what that's asset to. location. Which that's that's a great concept. Although I will say if you're in your 20s and 30s, you probably want mostly stocks in your in all of your accounts anyway, but this is probably more appropriate as you get into your 50s and 60s. Here's the problem with when people hear asset location strategies mm-hmm. on the air. Mm-hmm. They'll come in and they say, you know what, Joe, Al, I've been listening to you. And then, yeah, I heard asset location. Yes. So, you know, they have a million bucks in their retirement account, and then they have $50,000 outside of their retirement account that's right. in a brokerage account. That's right. So the 50000 is all in stocks, and then the million dollars is all in bonds. Correct, because that's what we Because, told them yeah, to you told me to put bonds in my retirement account. <laughs> Well, yeah, the first step is to have the right, right. asset allocation, Yes, which probably is, I'm 60, just going to say, that's a common one. 60% stocks, 40% bonds. So if you have, in that example, 50000 in stocks go in your trust account, non-retirement, and then 550000 of stocks would go in your retirement account, 400000 bonds. That's what we're talking about. I think that's a good clarification. Here's the next one. Review your taxable account investments. Consider tax-efficient mutual funds or separately managed accounts that strive to limit the number of taxable events inside of your portfolio. With combined federal and state capital gain rates possibly totaling over 30%, buy-and-hold strategies may be a suitable option for some investors. Agree or disagree? I have no idea what you what, just said. What I just said, because you weren't listening. <laughs> because you're reading. <laughs> it's very difficult. You got your glasses on, and you got like the I smallest know. font. I know, right? That's why I have the glasses on. You got to get you some bigger font there, bud. Well, I, 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 I do agree with the concept. The concept is 
to the extent that you have assets outside of your retirement account, make sure they're as tax efficient as possible. Buying and holding is a lot better than day trading. Oh, okay. Now I get what you're saying. Yeah. See, now you're talking normal. Yeah, now, right. <laughs> yeah, so you want tax efficient, like, it, let's say if you have an actively managed fund versus maybe an exchange traded fund. Yes. Well, the actively managed fund could kick out dividend, short term capital gains, and That's right. you know, turnover within the fund. Then that shows up on your tax return. You could lose money in the mutual fund and you still have to pay tax on it because they have to distribute those gains within the fund so it's not necessarily tax efficient where an exchange traded fund is extremely tax efficient. Yeah, and how many times do we see people they'll buy into an actively managed mutual fund in December and then they have this big capital gain dividend even though though they weren't even in the fund Fund. for the year. So yeah, watch for that. Here's the next one. Rebalance your portfolio using cash flow. I don't know that I agree with this. but I do. But Well, if you can, but they're saying selling existing investments to reduce, to rebalance the portfolio should typically be the last resort because selling can generate taxable gains. Oh, well, that's, yeah. Well, I mean, who, I, I who's think, he talking to there? Because most people have their money in a retirement account. I know, right. But the, to the extent that you don't, right? <laughs> so I, I would phrase it a little bit differently. I mean, if you need cash flow, and that is a good time to rebalance. In other words, your stocks have done a run, so you sell some of your stocks, right, to pull money out. Instead of doing it when you don't necessarily need the cash flow, that, that's an appropriate concept. But but I don't I, I don't want you to get the idea that, that rebalancing your tax your your portfolio you wouldn't do unless you're pulling cash out because you're worried about taxes. Right. I think the investment part's more important than the taxes. No, although I agree with that. they're both important. Don't get I me wrong. I think they were getting cute. You know, who's the author? Uh, Mark Avalone. Avalone from where? Forbes. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's a journalist. So yes. he heard something from someone, and it's like, okay, well, here, it's more efficient. Let's say if you have dividends coming out of your stocks, instead of selling the shares, you take the dividends, you put that in cash, and then you rebalance with the cash. Yeah, that's a decent strategy, but yeah, he's, he's kind of getting a little too yeah. He's getting a little too big for his britches. I, I like the next one, though. Realize tax losses throughout the year. Yeah, if you do tax loss harvesting, your rebalance is not going to hurt you. Right. Right, exactly. Because that loss will offset that gain, short-term or long-term, every time. That's right. Yeah, and we've talked about that on a lot of shows. We don't have to go into that right now, since we only got a couple minutes. The next one is make a contribution to an IRA or Roth IRA. Completely agree. Uh, what he doesn't say is a 401k, which is even better, if, you're, if your company has a 401k. Right. Because an IRA, you can put $5,500 in, and a 401k, it's 18000 And then there's a catch-up. There's an extra $1,000 if you're over 50 in an IRA, and an extra six thousand dollars if it's a 401k so you can actually get a lot more money to 401k if you have one plus not to mention probably most uh, many employers have matches so you you put money to the 401k you get an employer match as well so you put in 10 percent of your income and maybe your employer puts another three or four percent of your income in so it's like you're putting in 13 14 percent of your income even though it only costs you 10 so yeah good deal right yeah is that it finally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Consider a Roth IRA conversion. Oh, wow. You agree? I agree. <laughs> Next. <laughs> We've talked about that at nauseum. But it bears repeating. I think we talked about that even our last show, last week. But just in case you didn't hear our show last week, you want to consider taking money out of your IRA and moving it over to a Roth IRA. That's called a Roth conversion. Yes, you have to pay taxes on what you convert. But all future growth and income and even principal is tax-free forever for you, your spouse, your kids, kids, 
whoever. 100% tax-free. There's no better rate than zero. So you have to look at your tax bracket to see what tax bracket that you're in. And then you look at the retirement account and say, you know what? Maybe you want to convert 10, 15, 25, whatever the number is, to max out your bracket. And then now that money, you pay taxes today, but there is no way around the tax, Al. That money's going to grow tax-deferred, and then at some point you will pay the tax. And if you save a lot of money... Don't be fooled that you think you're you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. We find that people that save a lot of money want to maintain their lifestyle. And so what that means is that if the money's coming from the retirement account, you're replacing your paycheck with those dollars, you're going to be potentially in the same tax bracket. And then once required distributions, we see people pop up into a bracket. So I would convert as much as you can that makes sense, but you need a little bit more analysis. Get that retirement analysis by signing up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Also on the website right now, if you or someone you know is turning 65, it's time to start navigating the Medicare maze so you can choose the right plan for you at the right cost. The Understanding Medicare video series featuring certified financial planners Joe Anderson and Jason Thomas is available now, free and on demand, from the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Learn the basics of Medicare, how to bridge the gap to Medicare, and 11 common Medicare mistakes to avoid. Just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to watch the Understanding Medicare video series for free on demand. A couple of things, bud, when it comes to preparing yourself for retirement. Yeah? Let me just talk about a couple of different things that could potentially derail your retirement. What do you think is like the biggest one, right? You've been doing this a while. People approach retirement, and then we already talked about the softer side where they don't necessarily know what they want to do on a day by day basis. Yeah, yeah. To say, all right, well, how do I continue to get this purpose? And, you know, yeah. can I do something different? Let me get out of the grind, but let me still be productive in society and so on. Right. But when you're looking at dollars and cents as a CPA, what do you think? What's what's like the biggest mistake? Yeah, or just the things that, that, that things potentially they... could derail you. Yeah, okay. Well, I think I would say. So, I am looking at retirement yeah, next yeah. year, and you be, hey, be careful of this. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> well, uh, to me, the, the very first thing that's basic, I guess, is, is to just run the, the numbers, the dollar and cents. You, you do a little analysis and figure out what you're spending, what you want to spend in retirement. You look at what your fixed income sources are. You figure out, all right, what's the shortfall? I want to spend 50 grand. My fixed income is 20 grand, so I need $30,000 for my investments, right? So I divide my $30,000 divided by 4% just as a, as a quick rule of thumb and I get something like $750,000. That's what I should have as a nest egg. Right. I mean, that's not a perfect method, but at least it gives you a starting point for thinking uh, about how it. How many people do you think do that? None. Zero. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, one out of a hundred. Exactly. I mean, I think most people just assume they're going to be okay and then they, or they hope they'll be okay. Right. And, if you're driving from San Diego to New York, right, you're going to get a map Right. And you're going to look and say, all right, well, here, here's the road, you know, here's right. the freeways. Here's where we're going to stop. We're going to stop in this city at this time. We're going to do That's this. Right. So. And, it's, and it's winter, so we're going to go take the south route. <laughs> right, or, exactly. Or we're going to go through Chattanooga yeah, and then come back up. Or summer, we're going to, you know, we're going to go north because we want to avoid the heat in Texas or whatever. Right. And you'll probably make sure the GPS is working. Yeah, that's right. You'll have extra water. Yeah, and, yes. And you'll probably have a couple extra credit cards. Yeah, Maybe yeah. You put one in the glove box just you in case have, your wallet gets... Have an extra banana or granola bar in case... You know. right, you're 
going to be prepared for that. And that's just a stupid trip across country in a car. Yeah, that's this not the is, rest of your life. Th- no, and that trip is going to might cost you a few thousand dollars. Yeah, retirement's going to cost you a couple million, probably. You know, total cost mm-hmm. from you know if I have a thirty year life expectancy. Yeah, if, even that, if it, I want to spend fifty thousand dollars, if I look easily. at an inflation yeah, rate right. with that fifty thousand per year, yeah, that's, increasing that's, that up. That's not even a stretch. Right. right. And so, but. Most people just look either at an age. Okay, well, at 65, I'm going to punch because I have a kind of inkling that this is what my Social Security is going to yeah, be. Cause, cause, well, and I've saved a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right, and I'm probably okay. And I, yeah, I'm going to be fine. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm doing pretty but, good. But yeah, I'm doing all right. I got listen, a few hundred thousand dollars. Listen to our bucks. show, and Joe and Al said the average 401k balance is 97,000. Yeah. I'm double that. Oops. I'm twice as good as the average. Yeah, you got to realize that. All right, well, there's some other things that you need to take a look at. But then they look at, then, then we can like peel the onion a little bit more. Yeah. So let's say if they do do that, right? They listen to the show and they're saying, okay, well, here, I'm spending 50000 bucks, and I and I know that my wife and I or my husband and I will have above $30,000 of you know Social Security or fixed income, right? right? So I'm short X. Mm-hmm. And then they do the equation. They're like, okay, well, I need 500000 a million dollars, 700000 whatever the number is. Yeah. So then they just look at the number and they keep the exact same investment strategy throughout. Right. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, now, no, those dollars need to work for you. Right. They they need to generate income. So how are you going to generate the income that you need? How are you going to be pulling the ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars out of the portfolio? What assets are you going to pull from? You can't buy a bond to generate that, right? And you can't look at dividend-paying stocks to do that. So you have to have a totally unique, different strategy based on your specific goals and needs. Yeah, we know that the simple statistics are for a couple age sixty-five, at least one of them is going to make it to age ninety. I mean, there's more than a fifty percent chance of that. There's actually a fifty percent chance. So at least one of you is going to make it a 92 is the current number. Sure. And that's going up each year as as medical advances and we're taking better care of ourselves and things like that. And then you look at, all right, well, you know, they're either taking on way too much risk or not enough risk. Yeah, we've it's seen kind of usually what we see right? all, all the time, right? It's, you know, I'll look at a portfolio and I'll say, yeah, this is a great portfolio for a 25-year-old. Right. You're 65. Yeah, you might want to tone it down a little bit. A L- little bit. Or know? the other extreme. Right. I, Joe, Al, I, I can't lose any principal. Exactly. I'm so, not losing so, a dime. So that's so you're going to invest in CDs. So that's a guaranteed loss because we know you're not going to keep up with inflation. That one I know is a losing strategy. Yeah, but you're going broke slowly. You're going broke slowly. You're not, you're and, not necessarily and actually, let going... Me, let me rephrase that. If you've got enough liquid yeah, capital... Yeah, if you've got a, several and, million... And, 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 you, and you're fine with a half a percent or one percent rate of return if those numbers work out for you yep. and you don't want any risk, go for it. There's yep. nothing wrong with that. Yep. No, I agree with you 100 percent. So I don't know. It's it's just simple planning tools that are out there. They're so available. And you look at the statistics is that, all right, well, you know, the number one fear of most people is having enough money in retirement, you know, uh, you know, certain ages, mm-hmm. right? If you look at the baby boomers or people that are approaching retirement, it's like, man, I don't want to run out of money. I don't know if I have enough money. I'm worried right. about healthcare costs. I'm worried about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But how many of those actually have kind of taken a step back to put together just a simple plan? Just write it down on one sheet of paper. It doesn't have to be an elaborate 500-page document. Now, let me ask you a question. So there's there are retirement calculators out there sure. that you can get online. You can plug in a few numbers and get some kind of answer. You think, are, is that a good idea? Oh, I think it's a starting point, it's a sure. Start. It's a start. It's got limitations. It, oh, yeah. There, I mean, I would not base my overall strategy on those. No, I wouldn't either. But and, it at least gets... At least because 
here's what people do with those things, Al, is that they'll put in their numbers, right? So here's when I want to retire. Here's my Social Security. Here's what I'm spending. And they'll like give inflation rates. And then or what do you think mm-hmm. an expected rate of return is on your investments? Yeah. And then it'll show this number. And they're like, I don't like that number. So let me play with the assumptions. Yeah. Well, let's go to inflation at 0.5. And <laughs> my rate of return on my investments, 12. Yeah. And yeah. I'm only going to live until 70. Yeah. Oh, spend, look, it works. Spend 50% of my normal spending. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm not going to spend. Oh, there's no way I'm going to spend that much. I'm really going to rein it in. Because I hate my job. I want to get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know. so, I mean, you can convince yourself in anything. That's why I think having the third party is key to, to, say, to keep you at bay, at least to be honest with you and say, you know well, what, your assumptions are way out of whack. I think so. I actually just did a retirement calculator earlier this week. And it started out with, uh, does your company have a 401k? I typed in yes. Are you saving to the match? Yes. Are you saving the max? Yes. Do you know there's a catch-up? Yes. And then it's like, are you saving to the full amount? Yes. Are you sure you're saving to the full? Yes. And then it goes, you're good. You're good? <laughs> it was a little too simplistic. Solid. Yeah. I mean, we get spreadsheet after spreadsheet from individuals that do their own you know, financial plan, quote unquote. And then I remember this guy like it was yesterday. And you know, he's got, he, re- he, he said he retired early. It was funny because like I asked, he, he went to one of my retirement planning classes. So then I asked, how many of you are currently retired? And he raises his hand, right. you know, and he looked fairly young. And um, so we go through it. And then at the break of the class, his wife comes up to me and she's like, I'm freaking out. He got laid off. I He's hope. not retired. <laughs> oh, you I got hope. the rest of the story. <laughs> right. So he comes in with this elaborate spreadsheet, right? And he's like, well, no, I really focused on all this. He's got two kids that he's, he wants to pay for schooling. Oh, boy. And that then, hasn't even happened yet. Exactly. Wow. And then I'm like, no, your numbers are way off. And then, of course, he got super defensive with me. I'm like, I'm not here to kiss your, you know what? I'm here to tell you the truth of what right. I've seen in my 20 years of experience. If you don't want it, you leave. Yeah. Oh, no, you don't know. And then, then he, like, rationalizing everything. Well, no, you don't. My kids, they're geniuses. They're going to get full rides. All scholarships, yeah. Right? It's like, oh, my God. And the one is an Olympic athlete, <laughs> yeah, so he'll, he'll yeah, get a free right. ride. Yeah. And then, you know, my other son, you should see him play ball. He's going to be a pro, and he's going to take care of me. Whatever. <laughs> you know? But we can rationalize all this stuff because we don't want to face the truth. We don't want right. to say, you know what? I'm a little bit behind. I got to be uncomfortable for a little bit because I got to save a little bit more money. You know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, if you get 6% versus five, just save more damn money, right? right? Is the bottom line. You know, I wanted to get this guy on our show. Who's that? This side hustle guy. Okay. Uh, Nick Loper, I believe his name okay. is. And so he came up with a list of 99 side hustles that you can, you know, do. So, so we're talking about retirement. Maybe sure. you're not prepared. Or just other things to keep you busy in retirement. Yeah, whether it's whether it's making money or just something to give you some purpose. Right, or not. Right. right. You going to read them all? What's that? No, no, no. I'm just going to go through. Um, how about being a task rabbit? Have you ever heard of that? No. Task rabbit is an on-demand errand running service that enlists regular people to help out. You can earn money in your spare time completing real-world tasks on the unique platform. Hmm. Yeah, so one user in Atlanta makes a full-time living assembling IKEA furniture. Oh, I could use that person. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh my god, you get the box and I'm like, my, uh, what is this? My son Ryan, he bought a desk in Colorado. He tried that he had to assemble. I think he's never tried to do that. He got halfway through he, he wrenched his back, and then he just gave it away. It never got built. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least by him. Yes. Oh. Um, I'm trying to get my mom into this, um, some blogging. So blogging is, you know, you can write. How, how, how do you make money on blogging? 
through advertisers, maybe? Yeah. I mean, some people are making a lot of money blogging. Right, right. You know? And, yeah, you get advertisers, you get, I, I don't know, I don't make any money blogging, so I'm probably not the right person. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> <laughs> These are just thoughts. We don't. Uh, but John Dykstra is the master of quickly building and monetizing blog sites from zero to six figures. Oh, okay. Uh, there's also Lindsay in Bjork from pinchofyum.com um, on how they built it up from 17000 a month part-time. And you got Pat Flynn on building a six-figure fitness blog. Really? Okay. Is there some opportunity? There could saying? be some opportunity. Yeah. I guess if you if, if if you like to write, if you like sure. to get out there. You know what I was reading yesterday, Joe? Is is Walmart is thinking about test marketing a, a concept of home delivery so that a person where their office is and where they live, if they have people around where they live, d- delivering goods on the way home and making some side income. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to compete now with. Amazon. With Amazon, right? That's right, right. Well, that makes sense. They got to do something. Yeah. Car flipping. So if if you like cars and you're good around cars, and you know you could buy and sell it on a profit potentially. Right. Some people love that stuff. That would not be my deal. Uh, no. You know. Then you got cleaning services. Maybe computer uh, tutoring. You know, some people need you know some what? tutoring. That's an important one. Let's see. Dog walking, of course. Yes. Dog walking is, um, let's see. My son has done that. Yeah? Yep. <laughs> it doesn't provide a full-time income, but it's it's a little side hustle. How about gig walking? Have you ever heard of that? No. Me neither. What is this? Gig walk. A free smartphone app that pays you to complete small tasks in your neighborhood, like photographing the inside of a store. Is that for Google Maps or something? Maybe. Maybe. Human billboard? Big Al, you could do that. Really? Yeah. If you're not afraid of embarrassing yourself on a street corner, there's always businesses looking to hire you know, sign spinners or the, people. The best people for that are about 18 years old, 20 years old. They have lots of energy. You know, Danny Martin, our compliance officer, yeah. we had some friends that had a, um, a, a, a restaurant. It was uh, hot dogs and pizza. Yeah, right. Yep, so she put on a hot dog, hot dog suit. Oh, she did? Yeah, for get, Saturday. Get, and Get some pictures? Had some signs and, yeah. hey, have a hot dog. So <laughs> there you go. I don't, much, I don't know what she made. She probably right. made six bucks. So have you planned for retirement as well as you planned for your most recent road trip? Or do you need to line up a little side hustle of your own? Make sure your assumptions and your retirement strategy aren't out of whack. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for a free, honest, two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner. Find out how much money you'll need in retirement, what social security strategies are available to you, and how much income you can get from your portfolio. Make sure your retirement strategy is aligned with your retirement goals. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Now it's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al always want to answer your money questions, so email them to info at purefinancial.com or send them directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. Now it's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al always want to answer your money questions, so email them to info at purefinancial.com or send them directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. All right. I'd like to withdraw from my Roth IRA contributions ASAP for educational expenses. 
but my HR department is telling me that I need to wait until my termination in a month or so before I can touch with Vanguard to withdraw my funds. Something doesn't sound right about this. Why did they tell me this, and are they being truthful? Hmm. That's a good question. So well, the title of, of this email is, <clears throat> Can an employer prevent a Roth IRA withdrawal until I've left the company? Okay. Well, let me maybe clarify. A, a Roth IRA is an individual account. That would have nothing to do with your company. So I, I assume it's a Roth 401k probably that they're talking about. Would you but guess? it's with va- – uh, all right, so two different th- – yeah, right? Yeah. So let's – I guess we can answer two questions. Yeah. Let's start with the IRA. Yeah, if, right? if you had a Roth IRA, it has nothing to do with your employer. So, you can, you yeah, can, why are you calling your employer? You can take contributions out, and, and the, 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 you can take out what you contributed dollar for dollar if you want to. There's no penalty. If you take out the earnings and you're younger than 59 and a half, then there's penalties there. Right. In taxes. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe the, the HR lady is like Ma Bell. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, oh, Jeffrey, you don't yeah. want to be taking money out of your Roth IRA. Yeah. She could be like just being motherly could or be. fatherly. But let's say it's a Roth 401k, which right. which seems more likely. So, uh, and that, that could be true, Joe, because uh, in a lot of cases, you cannot necessarily take money out of your 401k before you either retire uh, or terminate from service or age 59 and a half. That's that's a common stipulation in these plans. And uh, I, I don't know the age of this individual, but they're s- stating they want to use it for educational expenses, so I would imagine they're a little bit younger. Yeah, unless they're using it for a kid, but but yeah, chances are they're younger than 59 and a half, I'm guessing. So here's some confusion. So there's Roth, right? Good old Senator Roth, 1997, uh, 1998 was the first time you could uh, contribute to a Roth IRA. Roth IRAs are, you know, after-tax contributions. Put the money in, it grows 100% tax-free. So Roth IRAs, people are familiar with Roth IRAs, hopefully by now, if you've listened to the show for any length of time. Uh, the benefit there is, of course, there's no better rate than zero, and so when you pull the dollars out, you don't pay a dime in tax. Some stipulations, it has FIFO tax treatment, first in, first out. So if you ever want to take contributions out of a Roth IRA, you have full access to those dollars. Again, we're talking about a Roth IRA, individual retirement account that you hold at a mutual fund company, at a bank, at a brokerage house, wherever. It's your individual account that you're making contributions on your own, not through your paycheck, but through your savings account or your after-tax earnings that you are <coughs> voluntarily uh, contributing to into that plan. Yeah, and I think that's important. So that has nothing to do with your employer. Exactly. If you have a Roth IRA, that's your own individual account, which is separate from your employer. So you're making those contributions. Like I said, it doesn't matter. You can always have the access to whatever that you put in. But the earnings need a season inside that Roth IRA for five years or 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So if you're in your 30s, no big deal, right? You contribute to it. You started your Roth at 30. You continue to contribute that to that Roth IRA plan all the way until you're 65. Well, you have full access to the money, right? If you want access prior to 59 and a half, you have access to the dollars as long <clears throat> as you're only taking out the basis your right? contributions. Your contributions. So now you've got to be um, pretty careful with this, right? Because the IRS doesn't mess around. There's different forms. You l- Let's say if you do a non-deductible IRA contribution, you file an 8606 form, right? 
then it shows to the IRS that you did not take a deduction for that, and they're not going to tax you on that. But you're not filing potentially an 8606 form when you do a Roth IRA contribution. And maybe you've made several Roth IRA contributions throughout the years, and then now you want to buy a new home, or maybe a boat, or maybe a vacation, or whatever it is. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go after the Roth. And you distribute the entire Roth out. And maybe you have $50,000 of basis and maybe only $10,000 of gain. So you cash the whole $60,000 out. You should only be taxed with the $10,000 if you're under 59 and a half. If you're over 59 and a half, then it doesn't matter. But if you're under 59 and a half, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Because the IRS is saying, well, you're under 59 and a half, you cashed it out. Even though $10,000 should only been taxed and penalized because the other 50000 is basis, how do they know? Yeah, they, well, they don't. And so you're kind of on the honor system. But then there's the, what, the 59... 54.98. 54.98. Yeah. That, that, have now, that, that are fairly... Well, those are fairly new, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty new. And those can sometimes have basis on it. It's The whole thing is all... It, it's, it's not very well organized and not even very accurate in terms of what the IRS is getting. So it's... As, as a lot of income taxation, you are on the honor system. And if you're ever questioned, you have to show that there is basis. And I think, you know, a simple example, let's say you put $5,000 into your Roth IRA each year and you didn't, did it for... Four years, so you got twenty thousand dollars in it, and over that time, or maybe ten years later, that that account's worth fifty grand. So you got twenty thousand dollars of contributions and thirty thousand of growth. You can always take the twenty thousand out. We don't recommend it, by the way, right. because you'd rather have that grow tax free through your retirement years, right? But if you need it, if it's emergency or you, whatever, you can pull out that twenty thousand dollars. No harm, no foul. At any age, you just can't withdraw that thirty thousand dollars of growth. Right. That, that's what we're saying. You can at age 59 and a half, but you can't do it before that. Unless when then. It, yeah. Then you have to take a look at the five year clock. Uh, the five year clock works is <clears throat> the first dollar that hits your first Roth IRA to have a um, tax free withdrawal, a qualified distribution. So there's a couple of tests. You need to have the Roth established for five years or you have to be 59 and a half to get the, the tax free. Um, um, earnings out. So let's say you're 62 years old. You start your Roth IRA today. Your first one. Your first one. You've okay. never established a Roth IRA. You're thinking, hey, you know what? I want to get a Roth IRA going. You establish the Roth today. Well, now you're 62. You're thinking, all right. And then you're a really good stock picker, and that $5,000 goes to $10,000 in a couple of months. Right. Right? And then, all right, well, here, I'm over 59 and a half. I can take the whole $10,000 out. You cannot. You have to let those earnings season for five years. So the point of the story is that you have to first know the five-year clock rules. Right. Uh, but I think to avoid all this, start a Roth. Yeah, right? so, so there's one five-year clock, not every year, right? So Unless you, it's a conversion if you're under 59 well, and a half. Then you have a five-year clock for each conversion <laughs> that you gonna make. going to go there. That's, that gets more complicated. But when it's a contribution, you do a Roth contribution at age 30, and you never do another one, and you start doing them again in your 60s. Well, you've already met the five-year clock on all future Roth contributions, right? So there is no five, there's no additional five-year clock in that example. And you're right, Roth conversions are completely different. And this is where it gets really confusing. And uh, we've had people come up to us and said, you guys are wrong. 
I read it here, and, and we're saying, no, that's the conversion. Those rules are, are different when you're under 59 and a half, but it's, it's, it's as most tax law. It's very hard to explain. The five-year clock for conversions was put in place because people were abusing the law in a sense of they were under 59 and a half, they were doing a Roth IRA conversion, and then, let's say, a couple of days later, they're taking those dollars out. They paid the tax on the conversion. Yeah. But they're under 59 and a half, so they pulled the money out, and they avoided the 10% penalty. Right. So the IRS said, no, you know what? When you do a conversion and you're under 59 and a half, you got to wait five years for each conversion before you take that money out. Correct. And so I don't even know why that rule exists. Well, it's stupid. I mean, let's say if I'm 40 years old, I do a Roth IRA conversion of $20,000, right? So now the Roth is in my, or now the, the, the 20000 is in my Roth. I wait till I'm 45. Now I can take the conversion out without the 10% penalty. Yeah, I don't know. Why don't they would just wait till 59 and a half? Because that's, that's the intent. That's the intent, right. <laughs> if I convert at 58, right? All I got to do is wait till I'm 59 and a half, not the five years. So right. I don't know. It's I think they're just trying to sway people from not. Con- I guess if you wait five years, you hold on for five years, then hopefully you're Probably like, you know you, what? I don't want to take the money out. Yeah, you changed your financial situation. Yeah, I it's guess just that, like that's what they judged was the time it took to <laughs> turn things right. around. I mean, next time I want to make an Amazon purchase. <laughs> I'm going to wait five, wait five years. years. I'm going to wait five years. I, I, I'm going to put it in my cart. And five years later, <laughs> yes, I'm going to buy exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the next impulse buy that you have, you just wait five years and we'll see if you still want it. You know, Actually, a, a very wise financial planner that I talked to in my youth, his, his rule, and I thought it was a good one on impulse buying, he said, when you really need to buy something, then just say, okay, wait 30 days. I, I got to have this. Just wait 30 days and see if in 30 days you still got to have it. And the answer is usually no. How about if it's an EpiPen? EpiPen? <laughs> and you need it. Well, that's not an impulse buy. Oh. That's necessary. <laughs> but your, your um, Chewbacca mask or your, <laughs> or your Darth Vader mask or whatever it is. Oh, you, you know can, what? If you would have waited 30 days on that, you'd be in much better shape. Oh. We're going to have a new segment on the show. <laughs> the worst, Bad purchases. Yeah, the worst impulse purchases ever. <laughs> you know, I was in the gas station, right? Right by our office there. And so I go in and, you know, like before I teach yeah. um, these adult education classes, I pop in there, I grab a water and yeah. uh, a monster, right? Just a- energy an energy drink, drink get, just to get, get me all fired juice up. Juice step, right. Yeah. Okay. So go in there, buy my stuff. And he's like, yeah. Heard you like uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> How like, do you know that? <laughs> he's a big fan of the show. Oh, <laughs> and we talked about that. Yeah, I was sitting there, one, and I, was, I, I heard your voice, right? And I'm like, what the hell? Why, why am I hearing Big Al? Right? I'm in the gas station. He's not here. <laughs> and then I thought it was my phone, yeah. right? And I was like, well, maybe I had the podcast yeah, on the phone because the, I, I right. listened to the podcast 24-7. Got it. Because I can't get enough of it. He's the only one. And then the gas station guy, right? He's all of a sudden there was a commercial. You and I are on the you know radio. Yeah. The, the, you know, teasing something. And I go, hey, bud, that, yeah, that's me. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, wow. Big Al. <laughs> love Big Al. Nice I, to meet you, Joel. Yeah, I don't know what your name is, <laughs> yeah, but we love Big Al. Yeah. Hey, can, can you tell Big Al to come in? <laughs> he needs to get <laughs> Does an he energy need gas? <laughs> 
Your Money, Your Wealth isn't just a podcast. It's also a TV show. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth on YouTube to watch brand new shows on banking on your house in retirement with reverse mortgages, creating income streams in retirement, and the A's, B's, C's, and D's of Medicare, including Medicare mistakes. I wonder how many mistakes we just made in the show. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't even know what B means. Is that hospitalization? That's why we got this guy right here, Jason Thomas. Don't miss the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth. And check back often. We're always adding new shows. We got maybe one more email. Okay. And then uh, we'll get out of here. What do you got? Okay. When I pass away, what is the cost basis of my stock that is held in trust for my beneficiaries? Okay. Is that the full question? That is the question. Okay. Well, that's easy. So when you when you pass away, and I'm going to first talk about uh, California, which is a community property state. And California, when you pass away, it doesn't really matter if you're married and one spouse passes away, the other spouse receives a full step up in basis. If you're in a non-community property state, you only get half step up in basis. But to answer this question specifically, so when you pass away and you got assets in, that will be in trust for the kids, they would get a full step up in basis, as long as it's not in a retirement account. So I'm presuming it's not in a retirement account. So you bought this stock for $10,000 and now it's worth 50000 just as an example. So when the kids inherit it, their cost basis is $50,000, the value at your date of death. Then they can sell it for $50,000 and pay no tax. Had you sold it the day before you passed away, there's a $40,000 gain in that example, and you'd pay tax on that. But your kids in in trust, or the trust sells it, doesn't matter, then there's no tax to pay uh, unless it goes up from that point. Maybe it that $50,000 stock, by the time the trust sells it, it's worth 60000 then there's a $10,000 gain in that example. So that's any non-qualified asset. That's a capital asset. That, so that could be real estate. Yeah, right? sure could. So let's say your your folks have a, a property that they bought for you know, $50,000. It's worth $500,000 today in Southern California. And they pass away, you inherit the house. And you're like, oh man, I got a lot of tax to pay here. Well, no, it's a full step up in basis. So now your basis is 500000 bucks. Hey, does it make a difference if it's in a trust or not? Uh, if it's in a trust, well, if it depends on the type of trust. So in most Let's cases- Let's say they don't have a trust. It's not in a trust. Does it matter? Uh, well, if they don't have a trust, it's their, they own it personally. They get the full step up in basis. So, I mean, if, I guess if, the question if, if is, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a trust to get no. the step up in basis. Correct. That's a good point. Yeah. If it's in their living trust, full step up in basis. If it's if they don't have a trust, full step up in basis. Right? Unless now it's joint, right? So there's some titling issues that some people have. Let's say you got a married couple. Right. And then... Um, well, at both spouses, that's when people inherit it. You'll get a full step up yeah. in basis anyway. But, but, but you could get a half step up in some instances. It's, it's a good point because that happens sometimes. Like they'll, someone, a couple will own their house jointly in California, community property state. Had they held it within their trust, or if, even if they don't have a trust, you're supposed to hold it as community property with rights of survivorship, then you get a full step up in basis, the survivor. If it's held in joint tenancy, which in a lot of cases, that's what people do by default, when your spouse passes, then you receive only a half step up in basis, which means if you were to sell the property, then half of it is at that higher amount, but the other half doesn't, and so you would could have a higher gain. Now, of course, there's, there's exclusions on selling your 
residence and there's all kinds of ways to avoid tax, but that's a really easy one to avoid taxes for your spouse, right? If you pass away is to hold the property as community property. And if you have a living trust, it's already held as community property. That's the way the attorney is going to write that. But then you get into retirement accounts, and that, that, that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, retirement accounts, there is no step-up in basis, and uh, meaning that uh, you have an IRA, you have a 401k, and because when you pull the money out, then you got to pay tax on it, and when your kids inherit it, they have to pay tax on it, right? There's another one, too, is, is an installment note. If you sell a property and receive a note instead of all cash, in other words, you're receiving payments like you're the bank, well, there's no step up in that note. So when the kids inherit that note, they'll still have to pay tax. Uh, they just kind of take over your position. position and right. Joe, I just want to say one more thing quickly, and that is a lot of times people in their 80s, they've got rental property and they want to sell it because they know the kids don't want it and they want to go ahead and sell it to make it simpler for the kids. And that could be a huge mistake because they'll have to pay all the taxes on that sale. If they just pass away with the properties and let the kids do the sale, then there is no tax because of the step-up in basis. How about if they live until 100, Al? Have the kids kids manage it. You could probably do an exchange, 1031 exchange. You could. Just put it into a big property, get a property manager. Yeah, right. And hold on. Yeah, just yeah. Let let the kids take care of it at that point. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot of different things too, like stock portfolios. We'll have individuals will we'll, we'll come in, and you know, finally, it's like, well, here, I've been managing this for 50 years, and now I'm in my 80s. Can you help? You know, manage it. And so then that's a kind of a tough position when you're in your late 80s and maybe, you know, you know I hate to be sexist, but in, in a lot of those scenarios, it's the, the, the old man that had been running the finances and then he's in ill health and it's like, well, I want to make sure that, you know, the, the, the family's taken care of. And it's all non-qualified because in their 80s, there's, you know, they, they didn't have 401ks when they were working. Right. So, yeah, all their assets are outside of right. retirement and it's accounts. all individual stocks. And right. then they right. never sold them. Sure. And they got huge gains. Right. right. They might be living off of dividends or they, they have pension plans. They never necessarily. He's like, well, yeah, can you help manage this? And it's like, well, yeah, and it's so morbid too. Well, if you if you just hold on, you die, and then it gets a step up the basis. Then, I know you, you have to have that discussion though, right? It's, because it's the like, taxation on it, it's like okay, well, if if, if we manage it, well, we're going to have to blow out some of these positions. You know, we're going to have to sell gonna, some gonna of it. It's going to cause tax. It's you know, so I'm not going to charge yet just to hold. Your position—I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? But, you know, but we then can charge you a couple hundred bucks an hour. You know, come in once a year, but then when you pass away, then there's a lot of work to. Yeah, so it, it gets a little fuzzy. But I, I hate to have this—the the primary strategy is to, to die. die. Yeah, that's—I don't like that. I know, but sometimes that's the right one. <laughs> well, come back when you're dead. <laughs> we'll love to help you out there. <laughs> it's just awful. All right, hey, that's it for us today. We'll see you again next week. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. So to recap today's show, a step-up in cost basis depends on which state you're in. When you run the retirement numbers, you need impartial professional advice, you need to be honest with yourself, and you may just need to save more damn money. And hey, there's at least 99 side hustles out there that can help you with that. Special thanks to our guest, J. David Stein, host of the Money for the Rest of Us podcast, for telling us how to mind the gap between income and spending in retirement. Visit moneyfortherestofus.com to learn more. 
subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. We may even call you and put you on the air. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.